I want to say thank you to young men and young women who come to church by themselves without the full support of parents. Your parents may love the Lord, but I want if they don't come to church here, I want to say thank you. And so, rather than name all of you and miss somebody, I just want to say thank you. I know who you are. I give you great honor. You're doing something that I, that I never did. Brent came this morning. And uh, a few months ago, Brent <clears throat> uh, emailed us through the website and said, my name is, he told, us, told me his name. He said, I've been studying the Bible. And I found out from myself that the only way to be baptized is in Jesus' name. He said, I found out that there's only one God. My family is not happy with me, but I really feel like I need to be baptized. But they don't really want me to be baptized, but he said, I'm 19 and I just feel like I need to be baptized. So one Sunday night, his mother brought him. He doesn't have a car. He doesn't have a cell phone, but he has, he has a computer. His mother brought him and she <clears throat> was glad he got baptized, I suppose. <laughs> I'll give her the benefit of the doubt, but, but he got baptized. He was so happy. So he's been emailing me, and he's been telling me, Pastor, I've been listening. I can't get to church, but I've been listening to all the sermons. And he'll tell me the best part of what he thought about the sermon. And and he emailed me this last week and said, I really want to come to church. Is there any way somebody can pick me up? I live in West Terre Haute. And I got a hold of Julius. And Brent said, now don't drive up all the way, all up the driveway. I'll meet you at the mailbox because they're not going to want to see you coming. And they'll make it hard on me if they see you pick me up. So I'll walk all the way down my road and I'll wait by the mailbox. And he did that this morning. And he came to church, clapped. He didn't know all the songs. He tried to clap on beat. He didn't get that right. But he's trying to do this all by himself. There ain't nobody helping him. And when he, he told me today, my parents, my family rather, my family would rather me be on drugs and drinking than to come to church. I want to tell you, there's a fight for the souls of people. Some of us don't get that. I don't get it. I, I didn't have that. That if I came to church, they'd give me a hard time and yell and argue with me. If I got here. I want to tell you, we ought to act like and we ought to worship like. It's a privilege. I could be wrong, but I dare say that not very many in here is going to have a tough time getting home. Not everybody's going to be mocked when you get home. They're not going to argue with you. They're not going to try to start a fight because you went to church. I think we ought to act like it's a privilege to get in this house. Thank God you got a chance to get in this house. (laughs) Deuteronomy chapter 20, and I'll 
read from the New Living Translation, if you would allow such. It gives a little bit of clarity, and I need it for this moment. I want to say thank you to all the people that are here. I want to say that I'm here to wage war for your spiritual life. That when I enter this pulpit, I know that without a preacher, I don't know how it happens. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I don't take this lightly. This moment that I'm, that I'm here in this desk, I don't take it lightly. I know that someone's life is on the line and I'm here to preach the word of God. And I can only preach the things that God gives to me. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1. And when you go out to fight your enemies, and you face horses and chariots and an army greater than your own, do not be afraid. The Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, is with you. When you prepare for battle, the priest will come. He'll come forward to speak to the troops. He will say to them, Listen to me, all you men of Israel. Do not be afraid as you go out to fight your enemies today. Do not lose heart or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies. He will give you victory. I'm arrested at verse 5. Then the officers of the army must address the troops and say, Has anyone here just built a new house but not yet dedicated it? If so, you, you can go on home. You might be killed in the battle and someone else would dedicate your house. Has anyone here just planted a vineyard but not yet eaten of its fruit? If so, go on home. You might die in this battle and someone else will eat the first fruit. Has anyone here just become engaged to a woman but not yet married her? Well, you may go home and get married. You might die in the battle and someone else would marry her. Then the officer will say, is any one here afraid or worried if you are you may go home before you frighten everyone else I'm led by the spirit to preach about the battlefield I pray the anointing of the Holy Ghost rest upon me in the name of Jesus and upon everybody that's in this place Lord let your anointing rest upon everyone to hear and receive with all readiness of mind and heart and spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and I give you praise and glory. I adore you. I extol you. I honor you. I magnify you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for visiting with us. Thank you for the moment that we have. seated. Thank you. By all accounts, Gideon is a self-proclaimed coward. Fear and perhaps reality has pushed him to grind grain the hard way. We are introduced to him hiding inside a windless wine press. It is not the place where grain can be properly threshed. Those who thresh wheat 
without the assistance of wind, will find the fragments of chaff left inside. And of course, bread with chaff is tough and often tasteless. Life has crippled him. Reality is more easily accepted than the angel of God who calls him a mighty man of valor. But I suppose that such angelic events have a way of motivating even the most callous among us. The divine spirit world has reached out to touch this man who calls himself a member of the weakest tribe and he the weakest among his own. At this juncture in Israel's history, there are no apparent warriors rising to defend the people. There are no mighty men with blood-stained swords leading the congregation of the people. At this juncture, no trophies are touted or banners raised. Rather, they are all at the mercy of an oppressive army who steals their harvest and oft burns their fields. But to the invitation, whether by frustration or indeed a reaction to this angelic being, Gideon takes a chance on God and calls for an army to follow him into war. He musters some 32,000 men, which in itself is already a meager amount compared to the opposition. There are thousands and tens of thousands to Gideon's already paltry band. And I pause to consider how history influences our decisions to trust God. I pause to consider how biblical writings such as this one might conjure up a memory when we too are faced with overwhelming odds. We have the luxury and privilege to remember Gideon and the battle that he won. We have Peter and John and the victories of the apostles and Paul and Silas. Our books and our thoughts can recall Jehoshaphat and his godly inquiry. And then, of course, Moses, with those indelible words, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But what of Gideon? What did he have? Surely Gideon did not live in isolation. Surely Gideon could recall the stories of God's chosen people crossing the Red Sea and the Egyptian army drowning in the collapsing waters. He had Abraham's great feats against so many would-be oppressors, and there was Joshua marching around that fortified city of Jericho. But Gideon also had the words of the Torah, the words I read to you. He had the law, the decrees of God to his people. And in those words were comfort and they were direction. They spoke understanding and truth. Gideon is about to enter the battlefield. He is about to wage war against Midian. And there were words that were given to him before he ever went into that battle. They spoke to him in his moment. God saw Gideon's 32,000 men and commanded Gideon to make this proclamation. And I quote, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. When Gideon said these words, 22,000 men got up, turned around, and went home. But God saw that there were still too many, and God said as much to Gideon. So the command was to take them to the water and have them drink. And anyone who buried their face into the water and was not on guard would be sent home. Only those who scooped the water up into their hands and drank it, looking up, looking around, could remain. And when that test was completed, only 300 men remained. Joshua had to send home 9,700 men because the battlefield demands your attention. The battlefield holds the key to freedom or of bondage. 
So if you had something else on your mind and you were not attentive, Gideon knew that you were not fit to fight. Fear, doubt, thinking about what you might lose on the battlefield. That was a one-way ticket back home. Concern for yourself or even wishing that you weren't involved, that was a sure way to get turned around. But it didn't end there. God didn't just want those who refrained from expressing fear. He didn't want those smart enough to keep their mouth closed or stay with Gideon. He was looking for an army that was aware, attentive, ready to fight, on guard, taking notice of everything. So that if you put your head down into the water to drink, it meant that you weren't taking this thing seriously. If you lapped water like a dog, then it meant that you were not engaged. God wanted an army. Regardless of the size, irrespective of their training, he wanted a group that had their head up, watching, attentive, and prepared. It was, and it is, God's precedent essential. This is war. The battlefield is going to cost you something. This is not for the faint of heart. This is not for the casual bystander or observer. What we are about to step into is not for those with their head down. Send them home. What did God require? Men with nothing to lose who were ready to fight the battle. God is, God's man is going to speak and God's spirit is going to prove and God's call is going to come and his word is going to discern. If you enter this battlefield with something to lose, then you'll stumble in the fight. You'll think of what is at home and what you could have done or what you could have been. The Midianites outnumbered them, and they have a proven record of ruthlessness. Death follows them everywhere. They take no prisoners. And if you aren't aware, if your head is not in the game and not in the fight, then you'll be taken by surprise. Gideon is given a call to do something with these men. And all I can think is that he must have heard some words prior, those words of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Surely those are the words that must have rang out in his mind because they speak to his moment in time. Moses will write, the enemy will outnumber you, but do not be afraid. The priest is going to speak to you. He will say, Do not be afraid as you go to your fight. Your enemies are going to fight you today, but don't lose heart and do not panic. Don't tremble before them. For the Lord your God who brought you out is going to bring you through. He'll fight against your enemies and he's going to give you the victory. But if you just built a house and you're concerned about your estate, then go home. If you just planted a vineyard, you'll enter this battlefield with regret because you didn't get the taste of the things you built. Go home. If it's a relationship that you're after that's going to be on your mind, then turn around because the battlefield is going to demand your full attention. It's going to demand your heart, your passion, and your desires. There's a, a battlefield, and true soldiers that join this fight cannot be diverted. Spiritual warfare, ladies and gentlemen, is already lost if temporal things are in competition with heavenly things. The Spirit is calling for people that are willing to leave it all on the battlefield. And I'm preaching tonight about eternal things. I'm not talking about temporal things. I'm talking about spiritual things. I'm not mentioning prosperity doctrines and giving something to get something in return. I'm preaching about an army willing to put aside pride and opinions and join this fight. It's a spiritual fight and this is the hour that we're going to have to have somebody that will enter this battlefield with nothing holding them back and nothing behind them to return to. Oh! 
What did Jesus say? He said in Matthew that the kingdom is likened to a king who sent his servant to invite people to come to his son's wedding feast. And I quote, but they made light of it and went their ways. When, when one to his farm and another to his merchandise, he brings it up again in Luke chapter 14. He said, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all were alike, began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Excuse me, I can't come. Still another said, I just got married, so I cannot come. Surely there's a reflection in Luke chapter 14 to Deuteronomy chapter 20 because they are identical. They are simultaneous. They are happening in the same moment where God is ushering out a word. It's there in one dispensation and another but God sees it at the same. So when Gideon was faced with, when he was faced with this opposition and he knew what had to happen, he was willing to let the army whittle down to 300. What Gideon faced was neither new or abnormal. Moses lived it and wrote about it. The apostles witnessed it. Paul lamented as he saw fellow laborers leaving the mission. Jesus used it as parables. He said, there is a beautiful bat, there's a battlefield. He said, no man having put himself, his hand to the plow and looking back as fit for the kingdom of God. Nobody will ever truly enter this fight and come out victorious if they are holding stuff in their hands. You can call it valuables tonight, but it's just stuff. It might look appealing, but compared to the kingdom of God, souls and eternity, it's all temporal and a base. This battlefield demands your attention. The casual traveler won't last on the battlefield because there are landmines fully of offenses. And I'm here to say, if you are easily offended, you will be offended. And if you are hard to offend, you'll still be offended because in this battlefield, the devil is after your soul. He'll do anything to offend you. He'll do anything to use people against you just to keep you away from the battle. But I'm rising up to say, you gotta put it all aside and get on the battlefield. There's a war and he needs you. There are landmines full of rebukes and scorns. There are pitfalls of skepticisms. And there are hypocrites all over lining up beside you. And if you have anything that can make you turn around, then it will make you turn around. A house? Go home. Enjoy the house. Because the battlefield needs your passion. Your boat? Your hobbies? Go home. Because this battlefield requires your whole heart. Is it a relationship that you're after? Go home and spend your life building cyber friends. Because this battlefield will require your time. Your voice is going to require your voice. And the voice a battlefield needs is prayer. It's a voice of intercession. It's a voice of praise. It's a voice of worship. On this battlefield, it's going to take a voice that takes dominion over every power and principality. Come on. I'm looking for somebody that will join the battle. Somebody that will stand up and say, I got nothing to hold on to. I got to go forward.
Trust me when I tell you that when the door closed to the ark of Noah, everybody changed their mind. When they were pounding on the ark to let them in, they changed their mind. Hear the preacher tonight. I feel like an old apostolic preacher rising up just to say, you cannot miss the rapture. Oh, you cannot miss the rapture. There's no room in this battlefield for idle chatter or what Paul called vain babblings. Did you build vineyards? Did you buy something that can only be enjoyed, enjoyed on Sundays? And on weeknights, is life so packed and you work so hard that you say to yourself, I'd like to eat a little bit of the fruit I've worked so hard for. (laughs) And go home, turn around, go back, take your leisure and the things you created with your own hands because this kingdom is going to swallow up your leisure time. The closer we get to the coming of the Lord, this kingdom is going to demand your leisure time. I'm going to preach this word and somebody's going to enter the battlefield and some of you are already starting to count the cost to see what it's going to cost you I'm going to tell you right now the Lord is so gracious to you that he is reaching for your life he's reaching for your soul you better hear me because one day these words are going to echo throughout the corridors of history and time and I want you to know you got to be ready you got to get on the battlefield you got to put everything beside and behind you I'll tell you what the battlefield is going to do. It's going to bury your temporal. It's going to put constraints on your ambitions because it's the Father's business. It's a spiritual battle. And if you enter this battlefield, you can't be thinking about what you're missing. You've got to be able to leave it all on the battlefield because there will be odds stacked against you. There will be times when your family, your own family, will oppose you. There will be moments when you feel weak and you feel wounded. But that's just part of the battle. The battlefield is where souls hang in the balance. In fact, your own faith will be put to the test. The battlefield is where eternity is measured out and where heaven and hell are pulling back and forth like a tug of war for space and occupation. And it is by no coincidence that when Paul concluded his life, he said, and I quote, I have fought a good fight. Undoubtedly, his was not just another metaphor thrown into the cauldron of communication. It was real because it was marked with hunger and thirst and offenses and wounds and dangers. But if you asked Paul, he would tell you there's no place like the battlefield. There is no significance that can compare like unto those who pray until someone prays through. Praying through addictions and fears and rejections and hurts, there's no greater joy than to be engaged in faith building and gospel teaching and soul winning. It is the battlefield. And if you're going to enter this spiritual fight, then you're going to have to see the cause, like unto young David, who asked the question, even though he, was, he heard the mockery of Goliath, David said, is there not a cause? 
Is there not a worthy fight? Is there anything else greater than the fighting for the kingdom of God? Is there any ambition greater than pulling people from the fire and rescuing them from the eternal judgment? Is there not a cause? And if we really believe that God was coming back soon, that all that I'm preaching tonight would be that much more important. These are not just words to fill up space on a Sunday night. This is not just a far-fetched spiritual rhetoric. This is life and death to hundreds and thousands that we know in this city And yes, there is a cause. (sighs) Pirelli wrote a book years ago. Piercing the darkness. In that particular book. He pulled back the curtain on spiritual movement to show that there were spirits, demonic spirits and others, angelic, godly, divine spirits, ministering spirits too, that move in and around people. (laughs) The spirit world is probably a greater reality than our own world. I can feel this. And I know it because my five senses tell me that it exists. But there is a spirit world that's just as real as the physical world. And if you don't believe it, you're in big trouble. And there's a fight for your soul. He's been at this for 6,000 years and he knows what he's doing. This is not a game to him. He rejoices every time he wins somebody to his side and buries them. And Jesus said, you are, you are going to be offended. You're going to be wounded. That is the nature of the battlefield. I think, if, if memory serves me right, the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by large mountain ranges, hills, huge. In fact, the Sea of Galilee is set in such a way where it is made for the tempest. In fact, weather can come up real quick and a great storm can whip around the Sea of Galilee very quickly because that is the terrain. That is what, where it lies. It lies in a perfect place and that is the battlefield of our life. Hear me. If you can be deceived by anything, he's going to throw it at you. And if you're going to get on this battlefield, Brother Hudiger, it's going to mean that you're going to have to fight your own demons. Oh, man. Sometimes if I'm, as I'm up here preaching, I'm feeling your spirit and I'm pulling you back and I'm pulling you back. And there's a design of the Holy Ghost to reach out for everybody. Don't you know that the world would love to devour our young people and not just our young people. He'd like to devour you. He'd like to take your faith. He'd like to confound you and confuse you. Don't you know that when you get, when you walk into this house, there is a spiritual warfare going on. It goes on during the song service. 
service. It goes on during the praise service. It goes on during the prayer service. It goes on while I'm preaching. Don't you know the devil wants to trick? He wants to devour your life. He wants to consume you. But I'm standing up here saying, I'm not going to let him take you. I'm going to fight for your life tonight. And I'm not the only one. There are people, hear me. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. There's a spirit battle going on right now. I'm going to say, leave it all behind. Because if you've got anything that you're holding on to, it'll drag you off the field. So if you've got a nice house and you say, hey, I've got something. I can't spend all my time on the battlefield. i got something i got to take care of. Hear me. The devil will use that against you. And you just planted a vineyard. I've done all this work and I can't enjoy it. I want to enjoy life. Really? I'll tell you what. There's a lot of people enjoying their life. When Noah got on the boat after 120 years of preaching, they were enjoying their life. Hear me. The best life you could ever have is not down here. The best life you could ever have is somewhere in glory. You ought to say it again. This world is not my home. If the vineyard that you planted keeps you out of church, then burn the vineyard. If the things that you work for is keeping you off the battlefield, then get rid of the things that you work for. I'm trying to get up with the times I'm reading a little bit how there's a big pursuit for people to get followers on Twitter. In fact, there are some people, politicians now pay up to $38 for you to follow them on Facebook so they can boast about how many people they have on Facebook. 38 bucks. You just become one of the Facebook followers or whatever that is. (laughs) But there's a pursuit of people to get as many Facebook friends and Twitter followers as they possibly can. I'm going to tell you something. If it's relationships that you're after, you can get a relationship, but that relationship might take you right out of church. That's why the Bible says, hey, I'm, I'm in the book. That's why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked together. You ought, If you're an apostolic Pentecostal filled with the Holy Ghost, you ought not even be dating anyone that doesn't have the Holy Ghost. got to get serious with you now. I can't tiptoe around you. If, if that guy don't have the Holy Ghost, you ought to run from him. I'll go a step further. He might have got the Holy Ghost five years ago, but if he hasn't spoken in tongues and he don't love God, you ought to get as far away from him as you could possibly get because you got to be saved. And the last thing you want is somebody who will not serve God with you. Uh, I better hold this 
It's my shield of faith too. Just throw your darts, I'll catch them. I'm going to tell you what, she can look pretty and she can look nice. Look at me. She can look pretty and she can look nice. But ain't nobody's going to help you like a godly wife. And in time, she won't look like she's 18 and she's going to need some substance. Okay, let let, let me rephrase that. I didn't go over. She's not always going to be a size zero. And you're going to have a pot belly. I'm, 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 I'm not messing around now because you know you got so temporal you got so fleshly you got your eyes looking at something that looks good and you think hey man they're beautiful they're pretty they're handsome I'm going to tell you right now you better get somebody who can pray I don't care if they eat cheesecake every day but they got to pray they got to love God got to be careful now. I'm going to tell you something. We better get this together because otherwise if I don't preach this, you know what our kids are going to do? They're going to think they can go find anybody and bring him in and we'll just save him after they, after we marry him, we'll get him in church. It doesn't happen that way. In fact, for every story you find that existed that way, there's a thousand that happen the opposite way. And then you have babies and children and your spouse confuses them because they don't want to be saved. If you got anything, you want a relationship, go ahead, have your relationship. But if you want to get on the battlefield, you better put aside everything and find somebody that's on the battlefield with you. You can't mess around. God's coming back too soon. We're after relationships because relationships make us feel good about ourselves. And it grieves me that I've had to shed a few relationships in my life with some guys I thought were, were good friends. But I found out they don't love this apostolic truth. They're arguing against holiness and godliness. And I'm going to tell you right, I don't got time for that. I don't need to be arguing. I'm done with that. I'm done arguing with people who've already been seen, who've already seen the truth, received it, and they rejected it. I'm trying to find somebody who never heard about Jesus, doesn't have the Holy Ghost. We're wasting all our time with relationships about people who don't want to be saved. What about your barber? What about your hairdresser? What about the guy who's, who's helping you at Walmart? What about the person you work with? If we got anything, I'll tell you what it's going to do. It's going to reel you back in. Now, remember now, 
Don't make any commitments that you can't keep because you got a lot of stuff going on this summer. Come on, remember, don't give your whole heart to God because there are some people who are hypocrites in that church. You don't want, you don't want to get wounded and hurt by some of those people and they're going to wound you back. Now remember, you've worked a hard, long time. You can't, you can't give it all to God. You've worked too hard for that stuff. Don't give it up. Wheeling you back in. I'm going to tell you right now, if you got any vineyards, burn them down. If you got anything at home, get rid of it. If you got a relationship that are keeping you bound, get rid of it. You got to get in a church. You got to be saved. You got to be set apart. The battlefield is calling you. I'm going to end right here. Woven into this scene so easily discarded. I think it's verse 19. I think it's Matthew or Luke 2. It's the moment of the birth of Jesus Christ. We're far past Christmas, so no one would remember it. In fact, when we do recall it, it's in a play form of a drama. As shepherds, the Bible says, as shepherds watched over their flock by night. That is the description of a shepherd. They watch over the flock by night. Because at nighttime is when the predators come out. The darker the night, the more concealed the predator. Devour you. He's devouring some of you right now with pornography. You're being devoured with it. And addictions and all kinds of issues. Uh-huh. I'll tell you right now, I got to watch by night because this is night. We're, we're in the closing hour. Night is filled with skepticism. Of evolution. Atheism. If you haven't heard Jason West teach it a couple weeks ago, you ought to go buy his CD. You need to put it in your car and listen to it four or five times. Making disciples. The duty of the shepherd is to watch. I'm driving down the road. There's a huge accident. There are fire trucks. I'm, I'm, I'm heading west The accident is going east, and as I'm driving, there's a line of cars. They're all just parked miles long. It's a ways to the exit. (laughs) And finally, there's a clearing. After miles, there's a clearing. And then right after the clearing, I go over a hill, and there is an exit where cars could get off. I, I, I was blinking my lights at them. I had my left turn blinker and I'm blinking my lights. 
hoping somebody would slow down and just take the exit because they think that life is never going to end. They're going to just drive and drive and drive. What they don't know is over that hill, they're going to be stuck for hours. I'm driving on and right in a little cove is this police officer. He's got another friend somewhere that he puts the radar on them and they get pulled over. And I'm watching cars drive. And I'm wondering, they're going 80 miles an hour. They do not know that over that next curve, they're going to get stopped. And I'm watching people live their life like it'll never end. And I want to tell somebody, hey, just get off of this exit right now and spend a little time. Because if you go over that hill, it could ground you longer than you can afford. Slow down a little bit. Because I'm going to tell you what, you're going at such a rapid pace, there's a penalty coming off that next bend. And the shepherd is watching over somebody tonight. I'm pulling you out tonight. Because I'm going to tell you, the devil is after your soul. There's a spiritual battle going on here tonight. Did you not know that? Did you not know there was a spiritual battle raging for you? Did you not know that you, when you walked into this house, God had already prepared something for your life to pull you out of all that mess? I'm going to tell you right now, get on the battlefield. Get in the battlefield. Get in the battlefield. Leave all that stuff behind. Just lift your voice right now. I'm taking dominion right now over every power that's afflicting your life. In the name of Jesus, let every chain fall off of your heart, your mind. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke that thing that's been grounding you. I rebuke that thing that's been holding you back. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I pray right now. Let it be done in Jesus' name. Let it be done in Jesus' name. Let it be done in Jesus' name. I'm calling for people to put their hand to the plow that won't look back. I'm calling for intercessors and prayer warriors. I'm calling for people who will go on a fast. I'm calling for people who would give their whole life and every ambition to God. I'm calling for people who would get rid of everything in their life that would, that would hinder them from living for God. I'm calling for people to join the battlefield where there's no strings attached to them to pull them back, nothing to reel them back in. Ha <laughs> He said that about your show to your boss at Ayaba. Ho 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 ho. 
save young men from bad relationships. Save young ladies from bad relationships. Save good men from ambitions that will ground them and dilute their walk with God. Save us from offenses. Save us from wounds and hurts. Save us, Lord, from things in our